Hi, welcome to Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're returning from two-week hiatus, so please excuse my inevitable stumbles. We were reviewing the new Mission Impossible film, Mission Impossible Fallout, and taking a look back at another older comic book movie, uh, V for Vendetta. But first, a lot of news in two weeks, Andy. Yeah. We missed a lot. Uh, uh, we, we picked a few stories, some choice ones to talk about, and we'll get to the goods, but first... Walmart. This is a weird place to get started. <laughs> Walmart may be challenging Apple, Netflix, and others with a new streaming service. Andy, you found this moments before the show. Uh, fill me in. Okay, so uh, this was announced last week. Walmart is getting into the streaming business, as is everyone else. Just like <laughs> Apple and Disney, who are planning to launch their own premium streaming services right. uh, next spring. Um, apparently, Walmart's going to try to get on board as well. Um, they... Now, they do own a service called Vudu, uh, which right now you can rent movies from. I've rented a lot of things from there because they, they'll have things that you can't stream anywhere else a lot of times. Yeah. Um, so they own that, and they're likely to tap into that for their streaming service. And because they're Walmart and they're known for low and discount prices, that I imagine that their price will probably be lower than everything else that's, off that's offered. And I've also heard that they plan to kind of uh, target the rural audience <laughs> right so for now according to this article at least this isn't exactly like a, a hard line announced thing this is an early development idea that's something they're talking about um so for, for all we know it might fall off the wagon but what's interesting about this is it gives us another opportunity to look at where streaming is and where it might be going and what players want to be getting into it the ones that stand out in this story to me are, are walmart and apple which i'll get to in a second but for what it's worth it was funny when you told me this earlier I said, you know, they should probably just piggyback on something like Voodoo. Like, just buy that and use it, because that's huge. And you, that's when you told me they own Voodoo already. And it was like, wow, color me surprised. Um, I'm surprised to see that this doesn't seem to have more direct integration with it. Because from what I could tell, this seems to be a little bit more like, oh, it's going to kind of like be its own separate thing, and they're going to keep Voodoo going. That's weird. To me, they should just turn, like, just flip Voodoo over. Like, why not? Right. Um, Voodoo is great for, for renting movies. I've rented movies for this show to watch, like on my Xbox. I think Voodoo is one of the apps that like just comes to fault with it. It's surprising to me that they're not like really leaning into that swing. Um, but I, I guess, man, they got to get it on that Amazon money. Amazon's taking over the world. Yeah, they, they got to. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fierce fight in the streaming in the streaming battles, the mm. streaming wars to come. Um, there's probably what five, six services now, yeah. And, and you, most people, you're you're gonna buy one or two, sure. Like, and you, at the rate we're going, you're, if you have like five or six, like I do, you're coming up on a cable subscription. Like it's it's starting to hurt. So I don't know. I don't know how much more like the market can take before things start to just feel. I don't know. It's oversaturated. Yeah, oversaturated. And and I guess that's. Uh, you know, in the case of something like MoviePass, which we'll get to in a second, companies like AMC might have a vested interest in doing that. The one that stands out to me before we move on, uh, Apple. It seems like Apple is working on its own collection of high-budget shows that's set to premiere in 2019. It seems like they want to start getting into the streaming service. They want you to pay for Apple Music, Apple TV. They want to turn it into a thing. My, my one real quick aside with this before we get back into movie talk, why can't Apple stay in their lane? Like, stick to hardware. You guys took over the world. The number one, like, there was <laughs> well, a study that came out that long ago. If you want to look rich in America, have an iPhone. That is the number one thing to show, like, you are a class above everybody else. Apple has, has, has cemented themselves as a standard of societal quality. I think them getting into the streaming game is dumb. I don't think they stand to gain much from it, but that's just me. What do you think? 
Um, you know, I, I think Apple has done as well as have because they've uh, they've kind of leveraged the distribution of things like, um, well, you know, from the podcasting business, they don't sure. host they don't host podcasts, they distribute. Right. You know, same thing with me. They don't host, they distribute, mm-hmm. and I, I think maybe that's the angle they have. But you know, they've seen to do a very good job, kind of spreading. I mean, the same way Google has, where they spread into other markets and then slowly take them over. Right. Well, speaking of slowly taking over markets, MoviePass has been in the news recently, our favorite uh, movie subscription service, because last Thursday they couldn't afford to pay for tickets, uh, <laughs> specifically to kind of get into the, the goods here. Uh, last Thursday, users of MoviePass hopped on their app to, to go see a movie, and they found that they couldn't get tickets to any theater for any screening anywhere that MoviePass offers service. It turned out what had happened was Helios and Matheson, the company that owns MoviePass, wasn't able to make a payment to one of its fulfillment processors. Essentially, they couldn't pay their debtors. And so their debtor cut them off and said, we're not redeeming anything. Your service no longer works. They were able to clear a $5 million loan, I think, through their some kind of stock investors. Either way, MoviePass couldn't pay their bill, and and they shut down for a day. And and since then, it's only gotten worse. I read an article about them not redeeming Mission Impossible tickets all weekend, right, yep. and and somebody said they're just trying to make it to the first of the month when those <laughs> payments roll over. MoviePass <laughs> is trying to clear rent like the rest of us. What does this mean, Andy? Um, MoviePass is up against the ropes. Mm. Um, we've been saying it for months that they, they've been running out of money and they've slowly, uh, you know, they've raised some or they've borrowed or they've done some stock manipulation to get, get more money from investors. Uh, but I think that they're running out of time and I think, uh, the end is near. However, you know, even though the end is near for them, there's the other streaming or not streaming subscription services that some people are jumping on. And that's what I was reading in some comments that people said, Oh, you know, I'm going to go straight to AMC. They have, they have the next best deal in town. That's where I'm going. Right. Which I think AMC has been banking on this whole time. But if anything, I would imagine AMC never wanted this. Let's be clear. I don't, I don't think, think AMC was ever thinking like in 10 years, we're going to have our own subscription service. They'd rather this have never happened, but it is interesting to see how they've pivoted and, and how they have the service now that you can immediately jump to, to jump off of movie pass. I think it's a smart move. I do think it's interesting to see how MoviePass is, like you said, against the ropes, just hanging on by a thread, man. I, I don't know a lot about the stock market, but they've got reverse stock splits. They've got investor meetings, and I keep seeing that they might fall off the NASDAQ. Nothing good. I keep seeing the term dumpster fire get thrown around. <laughs> That's a good time. So, poor, poor MoviePass. So here's a good uh, rubric to measure by. Last October, their, their stock was at $38, and mm-hmm. then... It was more recently, it was at 60 cents. <laughs> and that was before they did this reverse stock split, which somehow makes more stock, but doesn't actually create more money. And then right. that went from $20 back down to under a dollar. So it's like less than a one cent or right. something. They're, it's really bad. They're checking the couch cushions for change at this point. It's it's a bummer, but I mean, this is something we've talked about for weeks. Like MoviePass is just not long for this world. And, and I know... At some point, we need to have, probably when it's finally over and said and done, I want to have like a formal podcast funeral procession. I want to have a, a deep, thoughtful discussion on the rise and demise of MoviePass and what it's done for the industry. This is not that show, but it will happen at some point, right? That, that yeah, seems like no, a good, definitely. Yeah, we should do that. We'll like, do I'd like the to history. have history. Yes. The people's I, history of I'd, MoviePass. I'd love to have a good, like, in-depth discussion about it. So look forward to that. Our last story before we get to Mission Impossible. I totally have the headline pulled up. No, I don't. Uh, James Gunn. Has made yes. some waves in in the podcast industry. 
Uh, we kind of went back and forth on whether or not it was worth talking about this. Um, but because of something that happened today regarding the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy, we thought it might be prudent to mention. Uh, last week, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to try to stumble my, my, stumble my way through this. Last week, James Gunn was fired by Disney because of some tweets, or some old tweets that were like a decade old that had surfaced on his account that were... Some abrasive uh, jokes about uh, at the expense of women. I think was was the deal. Right. I didn't read them. Yeah, they, they, they were, were deleted in, pretty I looked, quickly. I looked them up. Uh, okay. They were they were in, in very poor taste, kind of shock humor. Okay. Uh, James Gunn honestly took it on the chin. He he said, "Yep, I said those things. That's not the person I am now, but I was that person then. And if I'm going to be persecuted for this, then then I suppose that's that. I wish everybody the best on the project. Good luck on Guardians Three. Happy trails." Uh, Dave Batista, who is Drax, Drax on Guardians, yes, uh, came out and said this isn't okay. And then today, after ten days, so by last week I mean two weeks ago, this happened. Ten days from when this happened, a let an open letter comes out from the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy explaining that they stand by James Gunn. They would like him to be rehired. They understand where the people are coming from, but we believe that he's a very different person. This isn't the person we worked with on set, and this is signed by. Almost the whole cast of, of the main Guardians, right? Chris Pratt, Zoe Solana, Dave Bautista, Karen Julian, Bradley Cooper, Sean Gunn, Vin Diesel, Palm Clementif, who I don't know who that is, and Michael Rooker. Uh, so did Thanos sign? Did Josh Brolin sign? No, <laughs> Thanos probably, did not probably, sign. It's probably a good thing. No Thanos. Maybe they could have gotten somewhere <laughs> with this. So this just happened. Nothing. Nothing. No, Disney has not issued any kind of response. Any immediate thoughts about this? Um, you know, business and the film industry is often swayed by public opinion. You know, this has been a, the year of the Me Too movement, and uh, I feel like the country and culture is very sensitive to, you know, issues about uh, sexual assault and that kind of humor that goes along with it. Um, and so I think what happened is it... Let me back up a little bit, and actually, the way that this happened is, I believe, James Gunn went on some sort of political rant and then some there was a conservative uh paper or site that went digging through his tweets found these it was essentially character assassination Mm -hmm. um and i feel like disney wanting to just show that they were in support of that movement just got rid of him right away and didn't really think about didn't really take anything into context and it it brings up a lot of questions because it it it's you know where do we draw that line about, you know, when are things old or what are things from a different time or what is acceptable then isn't acceptable now? Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's worth noting to just kind of get into the weeds about this for a second because I don't want to get too far uh, down the rabbit hole. James Gunn uh, was a director who was like, I mean, he's, he's, he was one of the directors who's like the equivalent of punk rock. All right, he worked on trauma films. He made caustic stuff. That is where he's coming from. That is the person he was. Like, he worked on, you know, bad, bad. I mean, trauma made stuff like the Toxic Avenger. Like, trauma is not exactly <laughs> oh, a great yeah. company to, to work for. But back when he was getting into the game, it was very much like, a, you know, it was, a, it was a statement against the industry. It was a Molotov, Molotov cocktail at what film was. And that's part of where he cut his teeth. That is where he's coming from. I think it's that's part of the reason Guardians of the Galaxy is so effective because it feels so different. In the same way, I'd argue something like somebody like Taika Waititi attacked uh, the con- like superhero films in Thor Ragnarok, which, funny, funnily enough, 
most people said, as far as I could tell, when James Gunn was let go, they should hire Ty- Taika Waititi to do Guardians 3. Right. Because that's the closest you can probably get while being the same. And Taika Waititi's done some interesting projects, too. Uh, what's weird about this to me, about James Gunn, is this was not a decision made by Kevin Feige, 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 uh, who fronts Marvel Studios film. This was not a decision made by Marvel. This was made by Disney Inc. And to be clear what that means, when Roseanne Barr was let go from the Roseanne show for some caustic, a caustic comment she made on Twitter, ABC fired her. Like that is a subsidiary of Disney. That's where that comes from. James Gunn came straight from the top. There was no like Marvel discussion. Mickey there was Mouse no, himself yeah, came down. Exactly. This was the House of Mouse, like saying, We're not having this. Like they they shut him down hard. It wasn't even there was no boardroom discussion, I don't think, around Marvel, like, hmm, what should we do here? What's the best way to go? They didn't even like AMC Chris Hardwick him, which for those who don't know what happened with Chris Hardwick, there were some comments made. Either way, AMC said they were going to file a formal investigation. They investigated, and after a couple weeks and things cooled down, they said, you know what? We're going to stick with Chris Hardwick. Like, they didn't do that. Disney's like, nope, he's out. We're done with him. Like, hard cut. It took like an hour on social media, and he was done, which is wild to me. Um, And reasons I think that might be are because, A, they may not be making many more Gardens of the Galaxy after three, and they figure, let's just cut our losses and get out with this guy. B, maybe he pissed somebody off upstairs. I don't know. Or C, maybe somebody just had it out for him. But either way, it does feel a little rushed. It feels a little unfair. And and there's been kind of reverse backlash where there's been petitions signed to get him back to the Guardians films. There's been this statement. Um, Because when a lot of other people or accusations have come out with other actors, directors, or things like that, you know, a lot of times they don't have people standing by them. Yeah. Um, So I think this is very different from a lot of those other situations. Um, I don't know enough about him to really make uh much of an informed opinion but i'm i'm interested to see where this is going if he they will bring him back or not yeah it's i mean i don't see them doing it i just don't i I don't see disney walking back a decision like this but i mean yeah you've got an open letter to the internet with the cast of your film like that's something you know like that that stands for something and all of them have their signatures on there maybe it's worth having a discussion at the very least and and we'll keep you posted i guess here on off script that being said what what a time to transition to our first (laughs) film you have graciously agreed to take the summary for this for reasons that we'll get into in just a minute andy take it away mission impossible fallout So this is the new, the latest in the impossible, Mission Impossible, sorry, <laughs> Mission Impossible series. <laughs> and uh, what I wanted to start back with is, uh, so I've seen all of these films in the theaters. I have saw the first one in 96, uh, 95, around there. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and it was a big deal because, you know, it was based on this classic TV show. And w- like a lot of fil- first early film adaptations do, or first film adaptations, it was really over the top. It, it kind of did... Mission Impossible times ten, right? Um, and I've I've really enjoyed the series, and I've kind of watched them get better over time. Um, anyways, this next next one I really enjoyed. That'll be my 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 short um, review. Sure. But as far as the synopsis, uh, so we start with uh, the Im- Impossible Missions Force, and led by Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise. It starts with uh, a deal to purchase some. Um, 
plutonium, uranium, you know, fissile material for, for making nuclear weapons. It goes wrong. They lose the plutonium. And that's they're kind of reprimanded for this. And the CIA comes in, uh, led by, uh, um, headed by Angela Bassett. And they, they introduce Henry Cavill's character, uh, who I believe is named Walker, mm. to kind of oversee uh, the IMF or to go along with them. And uh, kind of what he's, w- the way she describes him is, you know, Ethan Hunt is a scalpel. I prefer a sledgehammer. And so right at the beginning, we have kind of these two different ideals that start the film. And that's really the premise because then the rest of the film, it's dealing with trying to get this plutonium back. Right. I I have seen all of the Mission Impossible movies. I don't remember them all. And that's not necessarily to its detriment because normally I like to say if you don't remember something, it's because it's forgettable. Um, I think the Mission Impossible movies are very clearly on the nose, fun, summer, action, blockbuster. They check all the boxes. And that's good. Like, that's not a bad thing. I, I, you know, you, you get the, you, the fun action set pieces. You get the witty lines in comedy. You get the fun hero you can rally behind and the evil villain, most likely from Russia. Like, you, you, you get a lot of good stuff. You get the, you know, the fun buddy cop stuff. Uh, I, I like it. But this one, like, I, I just wasn't that into it. And maybe it's <laughs> because we've just had a summer of a lot of blockbusters and a lot of good movies leading up to this. Maybe I'm just winding down. I don't know. But, like, I, I just wasn't super into it. And, and we should talk about why. First off, you liked it, right? So yeah. we're in a good place because we can go back and forth a little bit here. D- tell me about that. Okay. So um, one of the things I heard before I saw this movie, someone compared it to Mad Max Fury Road, which I thought Whoa. was – I was like, wow, that Whoa. is qu- quite the per- comparison. And while it doesn't reach those heights, I do feel that it had more than the average action film and rises above even its predecessors. True. Um, and so – the reasons are the action is incredibly over the top and you have these really impressive action sequences. Uh, you got a great car chase that's very long and extended. You have probably the first ever helicopter fight in at the, towards the end of the, the movie. Yeah. Um, there's a good long foot chase. There's the fight scene in the bathroom. So it's almost like, you know, you took these elements from different action movies, put them all into one and did it better than they're normally done. So the action is, is stellar. But then the other thing is you. there were a lot of incredible shots and things that made me think, like, th- there's an auteur behind the camera. Like, the the, the walk between uh, when he jumps out of the plane towards the beginning with with Henry Cavill's character. Yeah. He does this cool thing where they have an exchange and they're kind of walking back and forth. And then, uh, you know, Henry Cavill jumps off first. And then Tom Cruise goes. And he's just, like, the camera is facing him. And you just see him, like, walk off or walk towards the end of the plane and then just walk off. It's and I was take. like, yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, my God, a cameraman had to just fall off the plane with him, like, yeah. <laughs> to get that. It's F- impressive. Did you read anything about that? I, no. got, I got a little behind the scenes N- on that. No, I avoided. No, there's there's a great Twitter thread uh, by Christopher McQuarrie, who's the director of the film, I think, uh, about that. They practiced that shot for a couple weeks. Uh, they the, the, the guy going off backwards with him, they had one – one focus puller, which for anybody who doesn't know in, in film camera lingo, focus puller is the guy who adjusts the focus ring on the camera to keep the characters in focus. They had one guy on the plane adjusting the camera, and the camera was mounted to another guy's helmet for skydiving. So wow. it's just like a camera mounted on top of him. And he didn't have a monitor. There was no way to see it. So they had to do it by feel. They had to practice on the ground for a couple of weeks. And then when they actually got on the plane, I think it took, it, three, it took them three takes to do it. And they had one guy on the plane adjusting focus. And then when they go off the back... Tom Cruise had to stay within, I think, six feet of the guy in front of him. So oh, wow. that was a whole thing. 
and the guy falling backwards out of the plane had to adjust focus by feel. That guy's just been in the industry long enough that he just kind of like felt it out and was like, yep, I think that's about right. And like they did two or three takes and they're like, yep, that's perfect. That's the shot. Yeah. And so that, that's really what, cool. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, There's yeah. several shots of the, there that it's like someone took some real time to come up with some really cool shots where you could have you could have just had them jump out of the plane and then cut to that they're out of the plane. Sure. Another one I was really impressed by, uh, you mentioned the extended car chase. They, they got a great... Because it is extended. It almost reminded me of like Bullet in a way, like old school car chase. Because it's not all CGI. There's not music throughout the whole thing. It's like, this is this is a grueling car chase. Like, you really feel for it. Like, man, Tom Cruise has got to get out of here. This is bad. So it's, yeah, it's like, good stuff. Like, I got Nolan vibes with, with, this, with, the, sco- with, the, sco- <laughs> with the scope. Yeah. With the scope of the action and the realness of the action. Because mm-hmm. that, that was my thought while I was watching it. I was like, you know, we're not relying heavily on CGI and we're right. not behind green screens. We're trying... We're doing the real thing and figuring out how to do it and how to make it look real and and uh, interesting. Yeah, and that felt good. As far as the the other part that I think it works is that it, it kind of brings up deeper philosophical questions. Like, you know, you have the two characters, Tom Cruise and, and um, Henry Cavill, and they represent kind of two sides of how, how they do their work. And one of the things that Ethan Hunt will not do, he will not sacrifice innocent people in, in the pursuit of the greater good. Right. You know, they several times they mentioned like, you know, is the life of one person worth more than or worth less than the life of millions? And while logically we might say that it's different when you're in the moment and it's like, oh, I need to like kill this innocent police officer because he might witness something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tom Cruise's character will not cross that line, whereas Henry Cavill's on the other side. They mentioned, well, you just leave a trail of bodies. We don't have anyone to interrogate. Right. And so these two ideas are kind of float through the whole film and are brought up. And I was like, Usually you wouldn't introduce these kind of kind of deeper philosophical questions in an action movie. Right. And this movie goes there and it, it helps give it, I think, just a little bit more impact. Sure. And that was somewhere where I kind of stumbled because a lot of those philosophical questions for me, I felt like were not, not they weren't necessary, but they kind of answered themselves um, in some way. Like before you... I don't know. I think of a movie like Captain America Civil War where, like, you could kind of go either way. You could kind of side <laughs> with either side. But, like, in this movie, it seems so clear to me that I was like, this isn't really a question. Like, this isn't really a problem. I never, I didn't get why Angela Bassett's character, the head of the CIA, is going for a sledgehammer on Henry Cavill because I'm like, Henry Cavill plays August Walker. He's he's not, like, new to the game, but, like, you're seriously going to tell me that guy's more effective than Ethan Hunt? Dude, dude, he saved the world five times? <laughs> What are you talking about? Like, you cannot tell me a sledgehammer is as effective as a scalpel. That is, that is simply untrue, man. Um, and I felt like the movie had a lot of a lot of weird spots like that, or things that I just felt like I don't want to claim were unrealistic, but just felt out of place. A great example is that that bathroom scene, which uh-huh. is great, well shot. I enjoyed it. Like, it's a great scene. But like, I couldn't tell from the trailer, and I hope this isn't spoiling for anybody. They're only fighting one dude. It's yeah. Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, save the world five <laughs> times, and Henry and reload his arms Cavill versus one guy. And they're getting their ass kicked. And they it's get great. their asses kicked. Yeah, I'm like, what are you talking about? Who is this madman? It's amazing. You're fighting Superman, dude. Like, you're not going to win. Uh, and, and and I get you have to give your characters, like, something to struggle with. You have to give them something to, like, bump up against. And that comes in the movie. It does. Like, you get there. Uh, Ethan Hunt is well challenged. That helicopter fight scene was dope as hell. Yeah. I was into it. Um, and like I said, it checks the boxes great. Like, I, I, I would say this movie's much better than something like Rampage. In a way, it reminds me of Sicario Day of the Soldado because, like, you're still reaching for something. You're yeah. Like, there's a bar you're going for. And, like, 
I respect it. But in the in the realm of Mission Impossible movies, I still like something like three or Ghost Protocol more. And I don't know if that's a personal preference or if there's like a real identifiable issue for that. What do you think? I uh, Ghost Protocol is my favorite one. Okay. Um, it's directed by Brad Bird. Oh, Brad Bird. And, and it has, you know, some elements of, you know, that movie's about teamwork and friendship, uh, you know, which is strange to think like an action movie can be about these things. But in, in that movie, they fail. And that when they fail, that's when they re- realize, well, we actually have to work together better to over overcome this problem. Sure. Um, so Ghost Protocol is uh, my favorite uh, for sure. As far as I mean, I was having such a good time. I guess those yeah. things didn't quite bother me. One of the things that I also liked was that I felt like it avoided certain Mission Impossible pitfalls. Like one of the things that they've done in a lot of the other films is they'll you know, do a lot of exposition on some plan that they got to do. And they're like, well, first we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and this. And while that person is doing this, this person's got to do this and mm-hmm. this can't go wrong. And of course something does go wrong and they got to improvise. Um, so there's a, right before the car chase scene, there's a plan that happens and you are not told, you know that it's coming or that something's going to be different, but you're not told what it is. You're not walked through the step by step. So you just get to see it unfold mm-hmm. and it makes total sense. <laughs> With yeah. th- without them having to do the step one, step two, step three. And there were a couple of sections like that where they're not talking down to the audience, where they're just letting you experience the like the brilliance of their plans or whatever. Yeah, and, and speaking towards that, I really liked, in, in a very James Bond-esque way, the way Mission Impossible kind of unveils its gadgets. This movie does a great job of that. I liked the way it kind of brings in elements from the previous films that I'd almost forgotten about at yeah. this point. And they bring them in in a clever way that it's like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. And that's 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 something Ethan Hunt has in his tool belt. I also like the way, just to speak towards, like, props and MacGuffins for a second, the way the plutonium looks in this movie. It's cool. It wasn't just, like, a lame bar or, like, a yellow briefcase. There were, like, these three orbs with, like, numbers on them. And they, like, they looked, they're iconic. Like, you recognize them. When somebody holds up an orb in the movie, you're like, oh, that's the plutonium. Yeah, I know, I know that what that is. Like, it's very... Very well thought out that way. I, I did want to talk about performances for a second. Uh-huh. Any favorites? Any any not so favorites for you? Um, I, you know, Tom Cruise is always get great as Ethan Hunt. He's great. Um, the best stunt for me, uh, the foot chase. He he chases Henry Cavill over like two miles, and to me, like I was exhausted watching him because I was like, he's running like full sprint, like over buildings, and I and I know it's not like he's no, he's not running two miles, but like. That man had to do like four or five takes of each shot running did, full yeah. sprint. And I was like, man. I did wonder genuinely he's whether, got some real cardio there. whether or not they had sped up that footage or anything. They played with it. I don't I can't tell if they did. And like that's a, that's a sign of something. Yeah. Like he, Tom Cruise is going for it. And I respect the hustle, man. I do. Like he, he was. Um, and I love Henry Cavill. Like he's uh, he plays a convincing bad guy. I wasn't super into him. So I'm glad you liked him because I, I I need to obviously need to revisit this movie, but he wasn't evil McEvilson, but uh, but I mean because he's played Superman, you know. For, sure. Yeah. Uh, right. How evil can you be? Yeah. Totally. Um, but he does a convincing job of uh, not even necessarily the villain as much as just being the antithesis of the foil. E- of Ethan Hunt. Yeah. His like, action's great. Henry yeah. Cavill's action's great. Like solid action. Any any fight he's in, anything he's doing where he's like you know clenching his teeth like great great stuff uh ving rams and simon Pegg. ah okay somebody i did like in this movie uh a, a, a subtle subtle one here i liked alec baldwin in this movie <laughs> he had a great line at one point he holds up a character with a with a uh, uh an empty gun and he's got a real one and he says something i don't even remember what exactly it was it was like 
nope, no bullets in that. You want to try this one? How, how about that, bucko, or something stupid? Yeah. Like some <laughs> cheese ball, like Clint Eastwood. You want to try this like, one, yeah. Yeah, it was so great. I was like, well done, Alec Baldwin. Like, I, I dig it, so kudos to him. And I wasn't super impressed with Sean Harris as Solomon Lane. The the Yeah. I Forgettable. I, I don't know. I just I remember him from the trailer. Right, yeah, that's all you really, like, I don't From know. all your good intentions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I don't know, uh, for Mission Impossible. Any other thoughts for me? You know, it's funny. I was thinking while the, while they're fighting, because there's parts where, you know, um, Henry Cavill and Tom Cruise eventually get into it. Um, they're much different, like, size. Like, Tom Cruise is kind of short, and Henry Cavill's, like, 6'4". Yeah, very different styles, but, which is good. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, I was like, I don't think that would be really much of a fight. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Let, let's be clear. Yeah. Uh, Henry Cavill would, would beat Tom and Cruise. And, you know, they kind of avoided... Uh, any kind of like over sexualization like you never see anyone with their shirt off despite how ripped both those guys are and like right. well i think for tom cruise maybe you don't because how old is he now like 50 something 50s yeah his 50s yeah henry cavill i figured at some point we would like why not yeah. but yeah tom cruise is getting up there i i did want to ask did you feel like there was any kind of imbalance or, or loss of, of, of something uh, with the lack of jeremy renner in this movie because he's just there's no explanation he's not in it like they no. don't no, <laughs> which is sad to say because he's. I like him in, in Ghost Protocol, sure, but yeah, yeah, no. I I was a little bummed he's not in it. Like I just I, I don't know. It it feels weird to me. I in the same way like if you're gonna have Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg, why not have him in it? I guess the reason is because he was filming Tag and he broke both his arms or something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I miss that Paula Patton didn't come back after Ghost Protocol. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And she ended up in that really terrible movie that we. Uh, did a trailer on about about the home invasion something or other oh gosh i don't remember what that is. we'll get to that we'll it's talk about it the, the human trafficking one. Oh god the human trafficking one traffic yeah, yeah traffic <laughs> totally oh god she is with omar epps uh i i did feel a little weird because I, I remember like you know ethan hunt's kind of posse being like a few characters yeah now it's just two which is okay but like i don't know like i felt like it, it lacked a little something there and and yeah now like they literally have benji simon peck's character just filling in spots he's clearly uncomfortable filling he's like wait really i have to do this like because they don't have anybody else to do it for him yeah it's just the two of them and which is okay um but it just felt a little like coming off the last two movies it felt a little hollow it's like, strange how they can the movies connect because um this like okay i'll go by numbers please movie five is related to six which is fallout um, but not really, really related to movie th four. Right. But four and five are related. Mm -hmm. But then like two and three aren't really related to anything. Yeah. But then we get um, Ving Rames, Ving Rames's character, f who was in the original one, the first one. I think three. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, but yeah, J Jeremy Renner not being in there was just a little. But it, well, like to be to be fair, it didn't feel like there was any kind of hole in the writing. No, I felt good. No, like, it didn't feel like you needed him. It, you really didn't. There was never like, man, I wish Jeremy Renner was here. It doesn't happen. Like it felt good, um, and they did a good job of writing around him. But it just like having there been five previous films here, it felt a little weird. Also, not remembering five that well kind of kind of hurt me because this character named Ilsa in this. Yeah, don't remember her at all. I was like, well, she's I, arguably a major part of this film. Yeah, so. I do. I. I could not remember half anything that happened in uh, Rogue Nation yeah. very well. Nope. Just forgettable. Um, I know that the Rogue Nation is a thing. Uh, but I, I remember that one scene where Tom Cruise is running away from the Kremlin as it explodes. That's like the one the one thing I remember. I'm pretty sure it's in Rogue Nation. No, I think it's in the other one. Oh, God. Is it really? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, I think I saw Rogue Nation. Maybe I didn't. Probably oh, no. the one thing that does stick out as a negative is it is way too long. 
it's like a yeah. full two and a half hours. And, and I know blockbusters, they feel like they got to give their audience their money nope. and be two and a half hours. But I find very few films have what it takes to go two and a half. They don't have two and a half hours of story. Right. It did not need to be that long. It just didn't. Like, it's not, it's not that the set. Okay. Let me tell you where I got hung up here. There's definitely a minute in this film uh, where t- towards the end they set some kind of timer on a bomb and it's like 15 minutes and I totally 24 it. I checked my watch. I'm like 15 minutes from now this thing better be blown up. It was like 27 minutes. Oh, <laughs> it's like a half hour they stretch that Usually 15 minute it's the timer. Opposite. I know. Yeah, no, they get a lot of time out of that. So that's just kind of an example. Like. E- I mean, There's the, probably a way you could have done it where it was tighter. You know, you could have just tightened it up a bit. Yeah, the helicopter chasing fight scene is really cool. It goes on for too long. That all happens in that 15 minute span. Yeah, yeah it's like it's mm, way too long. Yeah, it's it's a little by by that point. I mean, by that point, it's been two right. hours and ten. You start minutes, to you like, start to lose the tension in the helicopter chase just because. And you've seen the trailer. You kind of know what happens. Like you know, at some point, Henry Cavill's in a thing rolling over. You're like, okay, well, I know these things aren't going to be flying at some point. Like, so you just kind of lose it after a minute. And then you cut in between what they're doing and then like what Benji and the gang are doing, and then back. Like you just you start to I don't know. Like you start to lose it a little bit. I wish it had been a little bit more concise in that way. But for what it's worth, again, I can't. Under, like overstated enough like it's not that it's bad it checks every action checkbox it needs to check it just wasn't for me is all so i guess uh, with that any other thoughts before we move on no, to I, think, I think we're ready to go andy would you recommend mission impossible fallout uh absolutely it was a lot of fun really great action some really cool shots um that like i said i was like is, is an auteur behind the camera like who <laughs> who did this uh this? <laughs> Ma- mass menace <laughs> yeah. yeah um you know you get your fun characters you get your gadgets you get your fight scenes um you know you get your cool cool plans exotic locations and the only negative for me is that it's just it's about 20 minutes too long right i i i'm in kind of the opposite boat but in a in a complimentary way i guess I wasn't super into it. I wouldn't recommend this. Um, oh, oh, like in general, I guess if you're going to the movies, I bet like, look around before you just immediately pay the price of admission for Mission Impossible Fallout. There may be something cool, something you know, uh, something a little bit more down to earth for me. But that being said, if it was between this and like Rampage, I go this every day. Like this is not a bad action movie. It's just long and it's a little bit of an investment. And if you don't really remember five, you might get caught in a couple places like I did. But for what it's worth, it's still fun. It's good action. Mission Impossible Fallout, not 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 so bad, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it, last thing, and this just to piggyback off what Please, you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they really pay, play fast and loose with the lore mm-hmm. uh, because there's some things that are important and some things they just, you know, you don't even know. It's like right, like Jeremy right. Renner's character. Yeah, I mean, no, they do not even write in a line where they're like, "Where's Jeremy Renner?" Like, it does not happen. There's no reference to yeah, him. Yeah, and I th- think they did the same thing with Paula Patton's character yeah. when they went to Rogue Nation. Like, no, just doesn't happen. It's it's odd. I don't know. It's fine. I guess. It's, okay, so yeah. the, there's rumors that this is the end of the series. What? But I can't imagine that it is. No, of course not. Are it's not going to end until Tom Cruise actually dies on set. Right. Which, again, I'm cool. Like, a lot of practical effects, a lot of cool stunts. Like, I'm cool with it, man. Like, I keep making them. Um, I just, I don't know. This, this one lacked a little something. I think my favorite is is three, which is a bold statement, I know, because three I can't is remember three not a favorite all. for everybody. Three had Philip Seymour Hoffman, and three was, like, 
visceral. They had like a torture scene where they're like torturing Tom Cruise. He's crying and like they're going to shoot his wife or something. And they got the rabbit's foot. It's a whole thing. And like three was cool, man. Like I, I was super into three. Three came a long time after two. And it was like it was it was the Casino Royale of Mission Impossible. They had to like reboot it and like give it a, a, a jolt. See, that's um, how I felt four it was. Yeah. Which I, I yeah, I, I remember four pretty well because of Brad Bird. And it had like cool cool effects benji had some cool screen thing that projects a wall that looks like a yeah like i remember that yeah i don't know it's it is what it is i don't remember five at all mission possible six worth the price of admission the next section on the show before we get to v for vendetta uh we already covered james gunn we covered movie pass we're coming up on the end of the summer it's time to talk about some new trailers in the trailer park my favorite segment to edit ever because <laughs> i get to find trailer bits for all this uh you have agreed to take the first and third i will take the second and fourth there's only four trailers chill out it's fine andy please take it away oh so the first one is glass first name mr last name glass uh, so this is the follow-up to M. Night Shyamalan's Split and the very long-awaited sequel to Unbreakable. Almost said Unforgettable. Mm. Um, <laughs> so uh, Split came out last year, or maybe a year, uh, year and a half ago. I think and, a couple years ago, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was a big surprise. It was a very good uh, Shyamalan film, and there was a huge surprise, not a twist ending, but a huge surprise that the uh, that Split is in the universe of unbreakable mm. and that there would be a, th- a third movie coming in that series for those of you playing along at home who may not immediately remember split is that movie that came out starring james mcavoy where he stars like 12 split personalities and he right. kidnaps four girls and like yeah that movie so what we can tell from the premise is that uh it's called glass because mr glass from the the first film um unbreakable played by samuel L. jackson yes, yes is is back and we don't really know much plot-wise, but we, we get some scenes where we see these three people. So we see Bruce Willis. I can't remember his character's name. Yep. Mr. Glass and uh, James McAvoy's character, who is the Beast, um, who I, I don't want get to in, get, get into what all that is uh, right. right now. Um, I'm really excited for this because I love Unbreakable. It's such an incredible, nuanced film about... Uh, not It's about superheroes, but it's not. It's about people who very, very slowly discover that they're maybe a little bit more special than the average person. Right. Uh, I did not see Unbreakable. I have not seen Split. I wanted to see Split, and then I found out it had a thing to do with Unbreakable and thought, well, I should see that first. And now I'm in a place where there's a trailer out for a movie that's technically the third in a trilogy to two movies I haven't seen. So it's a weird spot to be in. Yeah. All right. If you're like me listening to this show and you haven't seen either of those movies, I get it. I feel you. Um, but I think it's worth checking out, right? I mean, oh, these definitely. are supposed to be... I, I don't want to say the hidden gems of Shyamalan's, like, uh, Shyamalan's work, but, like, I remember back in college talking about Shyamalan with, like, my old, you know, my old, the, the guys I used to work in IT with, and one of them would mention Unbreakable. I'm like, I never saw it. They're like, dude, Unbreakable is cool. Like, it's it's worth your time. It's, it's just... It got swept under the rug somehow. I guess it wasn't that popular when it came yeah, out. Yeah, I, I mean... You know, The Sixth Sense was so huge when it first came out, sure. and then Unbreakable. You know, I don't really... I think I saw it on, on video, <laughs> uh, DVD rental. Nice. Um, but yeah, I, I think it probably suffered from anticipation and hype after The Sixth Sense, and I think it just did kind of okay. Right, and this was before superhero movies 
I mean, this this wasn't only just right. This wasn't only just before Sam Raimi Spider Man. This was before like Blade, right? Like this was no. I think it was two thousand one. Okay. So yeah, maybe a hair after DVD, yeah. hair after Blade. Fair. Um, but th- I mean, it was it was like new and it was different and it wasn't the Sixth Sense, which I think is what a lot of people wanted out of Shyamalan. They were yeah. like, we want more Bruce Willis like cool twist stuff. It wasn't that. It was an entirely different beast, and and people just kind of weren't that into it, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that it's it's very much it's a character study on these people that are in it, and it's you know the, like the superhero. You could have this movie without any of like the superhero kind of elements, and right. it would still be a very interesting, intriguing film. Was there ever supposed to be a sequel? Or not, is not it that, a closed off? Not that I had ever heard of. Okay. Ever. It, it, it I mean, felt like its own thing. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe a whisper here or there, but it was, yeah, no, it was never supposed to be a thing. And then a Split comes along. Yeah. And post-credits? Or just kind of mid-credits yeah, it, roll? In a, spoilers, in a post-credits scene, that, yeah, you know, they're talking about the, be- the Beast, who was James McAvoy's kind of superhero character. Right. Um, and then we hear them talking about uh, you know, an old terrorist, and I and then I immediately go, they're going to mention Mr. Glass, and they do, but then they showed Bruce Willis's character, and mm. I, I audibly gasped. I, <laughs> I went, <gasps> in the theater? Yeah. How, how, how so absurd. It, it was definitely shocking to me, and it got me really excited for yeah. M. Night Shyamalan, which is something I wasn't sure I'd ever say again. I, right. And, you know... It's uh, the shyamalan song. A brief footnote, because we did watch the trailer for the first time right before we started recording, uh, you're not missing a whole lot if you haven't seen Unbreakable and Split. It seems like they kind of connect those dots. I do want to see them before I see Glass. I also want to see Unbreakable before I see Split. You don't have to, though, right? You could just see Split and probably... Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, like that is an option. I'm just particular that way. And if you're listening this far into episode 29 of our show, you probably are too. Uh, do you think, just in the same way that I had asked about Stephen King and the Stephen king averse after the success of It... Do you think we're inevitably headed towards a world where Shyamalan is trying to desperately rehash and resequel and reboot another of his old franchises? I I really hope not. I mean, this is really cool. This is really cool that that he's done that he's connecting these three films. But yeah, yeah, I don't want to build a whole like ten ten film canon of the Shyamalaniverse. I wouldn't like that either. That being said, I I was really like Signs. Wish I got more play. I was in that movie. Anyway, uh, Shazam. Say my name so my powers may flow through you. But I don't know your name, sir. Shazam. Wait, for real? Say okay! Shazam! <laughs> Shazam! The next trailer, yes. Shazam. DC put this out around, well, right, right during Comic-Con, I should say, not around Comic-Con. And this is the story of the hero Shazam, who is... You're more of a comic book guy than me. Indirectly <laughs> related to other superheroes? Uh, yeah, so so Shazam is played by uh, Billy Batson, who yells the word Shazam, and he turns into the superhero Shazam, who used to be called Captain Marvel, which was very confusing. Yeah. Um, and he uh, kind of... So goes turns from like a teenager into like a full-grown man. Right. Uh, basically has all of Superman's powers, is a little bit like Thor. He's known as Earth's mightiest mortal. He hasn't really been, you know, featured in in the films very much. Very important character in the comics. Uh, He shows up in a lot of important story arcs like Kingdom Come or uh, Final Crisis. Those of you who have seen this trailer know that it's different. It's not like the other DC trailers. Uh, And we'll, We'll get into Aquaman in a minute and we can explain why, but uh this is more kid based 
It's more family based. It's based it's much around. Yeah, it's it's around these two kids that are in a foster foster home, uh, just kind of trying to get by. And one of them gets superpowers, and then it's like, well, let's figure out what you can do and what you can't do, and let's you know take a bunch of stuff from the gas station we just saved, and like, yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of the like, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, yeah, and I love the way that uh, Zachary Levi, who's playing the adult Shazam. Uh, his suit is so outrageously muscled, like just to, to stupid proportions. Like no, yeah. no dude looks like that. You're not uh, Henry Cavill, You're right? Not and then you have this monstrous, like neon yellow lightning bolt, just like huge across your barrel chest. Um, and I love it because not not because it's cheesy and it's hokey, because it is. Because like just like with Thor Ragnarok, just like with Guardians of the Galaxy, like we're getting to a point where like we we we're I feel like we're starting to approach postmodern superhero films. You Definitely. have to be Definitely. doing something different. This is doing something different. This is this is looking at the other superhero films and pointing a finger and chuckling. It's like, look how ridiculous these superheroes look, which is weird coming from DC because that's kind of their whole game. Like, look at Batman. He's freaking huge in the DC movies. Like, it's... That's kind of their their hulking brute mentality is kind of their whole thing, but at the same time, like I love that this movie's coming from DC because if it came from Marvel, I'd be like, looks like Spider Man, probably the same thing. Who cares? Yeah, like it's different, and I love it. And DC needs to make more of it. Yeah, I I was thinking uh, over the weekend that DC kind of has a little bit of a Star Wars problem in that uh, people are so in love with Batman and Superman, and they expect so much from them, and there's so much they want to see that it's almost easier to go in new directions with new heroes and new characters because you just kind of get a, a blank slate. Right, which I think is kind of what they were trying to go for with something like Suicide Squad, but that was just really poorly executed, yeah, yeah. right? Exe- yeah. Poor execution. Right, poor execution. Shazam looks cool. And, and I say that, again, with a grain of salt because it doesn't necessarily look like it's made for me. It looks like it's made for younger audiences. Uh, and, and it could be lame for all I know. It could just be a cool-cut trailer, but, like, the concept is is interesting. Like I like it. It's not just DC doing more of the same. It is something different. It is something unique. Chase that dragon, DC. Mm. And, We're behind you. Yeah, and Dwayne Johnson is supposed to be in. He's supposed to show up. He plays a uh, the, really? the villain Black Adam. Oh, okay. Because in the trailer it looks like Mark Strong. Yeah, that's the... well. That's I guess maybe there's two. Okay. But I know. But I know it was a long, probably four, like almost five years ago. The Rock. He was like. That's right. Got, I remember that. Right. So he, he's kind of the nemesis of, of is Shazam. There, is there any chance in the Shazam style transfer transformation Mark Strong turns into the rock like Black Adam? I'd, I'd like to see that. Just try Oh, oh, I would too. Yeah, if British Mark Strong turns into uh Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I'm totally into it. Um that being said, next movie, please. Aquaman. So the summary for this, uh, not not real sure where to start, uh, but it looks like Aquaman is actually kind of a castaway, or it looks like he's like half fish person, half human. Mm. Um, a his bit, his little, father was a lighthouse worker, and his mother was a queen. Right, right. Uh, so it's an origin story. Um, he he's the reluctant anti. It's like Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. Like yeah. I I never asked for this. I sure. I'm not made to lead. Uh, so he's living on land. Eventually, beautiful Amber Heard in ridiculous red hair. Ridiculous. I mean, she looks like the Little Mermaid. Like, she does. Like I, I, which I think was intentional. Tone frankly. that down. Yeah, a little it's bit. it's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, and so she says you have to come back. Your half brother's gonna uh, declare war on the surface. You have to come uh, re- take your rightful place on the throne mm-hmm. and make everything right. 
and you know, so it's typical origin story stuff. It it looks cool. It's so CGI heavy. It's so CGI I heavy. Mean, the whole movie is CGI. It looks like. I mean, you got it. You're not gonna put lasers on real sharks. I would argue something like Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets had less CGI than this. And yeah, like that was wild. Um, something positive before we dig into the things I don't like. I did notice uh, in in at least the, the one of the official threads when the trailer came out, uh, a lot of hardcore comic book fans said they that they, they, at least the villain looks real true to the comics. Like it looks like they stuck right on that right. line, which that, is good. And that's Black Manta, right? Black Manta, his half brother. Um, in the exact opposite, like the just the other end of the coin from Shazam. This just looks like the most generic so CGI yeah, trailer for a superhero movie I've ever seen in my whole life. I like the idea. Like, I thought Jason Momoa, I'm like, you're doing something different. You're doing something cool. He's covered in tattoos. It'll be sick. I, and it's like, it, it doesn't look any different. It looks the exact same. Come come see how great the kingdom is. And, and we've, fallen, we've befallen on hard times because you haven't been around. And you've got to take it back from your half-brother. And... It's the Lion King. It's the Lion King. It's, it's exactly the Lion, the King. Lion yeah. King. Yeah, and like, I don't know. Maybe that's neat. The Lion King's cool, but like, I, I, I don't know what I expected with Aquaman. I guess I expected Vincent Chase, Vincent Chase but like, I, I expected some kind of something new and unique and different, and instead it's just like the exact same. I mean, it looks like Thor. It's like it's CGI just, fest. Yeah, it's a total CGI fest, so... Maybe the action will be neat. I, it doesn't look like the world building will be particularly incredible. I'm shocked James Wan has his name come up as the first like logo credit. I'm like, oh god, why is that on there? You know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be putting my name on that. But <laughs> I guess he's excited to be a part of it. Um, what I mean, what do you think? Am, am I nuts here? Am I? It it, it does seem very vo- boilerplate. I mean, I'll see it because I'm a huge superhero fan. I'm not very familiar with Aquaman's backstory or his lore. Um, particularly so i don't really know what to expect maybe that's a good thing yeah i'm as far as new dc things on the horizon i'm looking more forward to the flash movie if that actually gets made sure if dc's still floating around uh by the time that comes up (laughs) floating around yeah i'm looking forward to shazam more than i am this but i'm sure we'll go see it for this show um so stay tuned for that review i guess the last trailer we have is a new kind of odd little indie flick called mid 90s First film written and directed by our main village man, Jonah Hill. <laughs> and I think it's important to start there because I, I like the, the idea of this movie. And then I saw it was written and directed by Jonah Hill. <laughs> now I'm not so sure. Uh, Jonah Hill's never done anything before like this, so maybe I'm wrong. Let me get into it. Uh, mid-90s is the story of a young boy named Stevie in the mid-90s playing Street Fighter 2 on his Super Nintendo and, and, and sneaking into his brother's room to mess with his stuff, his older brother's room. Uh, who who beats him up when he finds him, and Stevie finds uh, in, in his what I assume to be low income household uh, comfort in a group of uh, skaters uh, just out and about in where I think is California. That's that's right. what I think. It's um, not a bad approach, I guess. Uh, it looks real slick. It's got this very like skater vibe look to it. It's covered in film grain. The trailer, at least, is in four by three. So it's supposed to be older. It's supposed to evoke this kind of feeling of nostalgia. And you're following these kids around. And it's about Stevie growing up with his brother being weird and like finding, you know, finding finding a, a family and, and a group of ragtag vagabonds. Um, 
man, I'm 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 not. <laughs> the further I get away from it, the more I'm like, I'm not really into this movie, and I feel bad. But I'm like, way to go, Jonah Hill! Like you managed to find a place for for movies to be made. The mid '90s about young folks. There's something there. But God forbid you set it in the Midwest where most of us grew up. God forbid you set it on like the East Coast. No, it's a low income house in California. You made Ladybird. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah, well done. Except Ladybird's going to be better than this. Like I, and I, it looks neat, but I'm like, well, I mean, that's not exactly like an executive decision by the director. That could be the cinematographer for all we know. Who's like, "Hey, let's kind of do it this way." Maybe I'm wrong. He did write it. He, he is more of a saying it than that. But like the trailer's pretty well cut. It's got good music. It's got cool skater stuff, but I'm like, it's easy to cut a trailer out of stuff like that. It's hard to make a movie out of stuff like that, yeah, so, so I don't know. So I just saw, um, cut at the Oak Cliff Film Festival, I saw yeah. Skate Kitchen. You did. Uh, which is a similar story to a coming-of-age story uh, with a girl and her. She finds uh, solace and community with a, sk- a group of skater girls. Yeah. So this is kind of a similar movie. Yeah. Um, obviously, probably made around, around the same time. Uh, Jonah Hill is 34. He's the same age as me. Mm. And, you know, so this is... 20, 22 years ago or so about when this takes place. And yeah, I guess the nineties are big now, just like the eighties were big for the last 20 years. Uh, it's funny how decades last way longer than, right. <laughs> than they actually were. Um, so, I mean, I grew up in the nineties. I was a little bit of a skater. I was pretty good. I was all right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, could you do a kickflip? I could. Could you do an Ollie? Yeah. Oh. That's like there's this gr- there's sorry there's a great scene in in Skate Kitchen yeah. where where the girls are all carrying their boards and someone says hey can you do a, an ollie and she's like no I'm just carrying this around for fun wow like it's there you great, go. it's great yeah all right neat um so yeah it like it looks super indie I'm am interested to see what Jonah Hill can do behind the camera yeah um I it, am it could, I am it could I, just yeah. be it could be brilliant it could be very generic by the numbers indie like check off all the all the boxes on the indie. Right. Indie, indie car. And that's like the first time I saw the trailer, I was like, this looks neat. This looks neat. And it's like written direct by Jonah Hill. I'm like, oh, God. Like, oh, like I care. And I, I shouldn't be that way. The man was in a Martin Scorsese film. He was nominated for an Academy Award. All right. For Wolf of Wall Street. Like, I shouldn't. I shouldn't feel. He was in Moneyball. Brad Pitt. I shouldn't feel that way. But at the same time, yeah, I'm just like, can, like, yeah, you, you told another story of some some kid who gets beat up by his family in low-income housing in California, tough. Like, I don't know. It's just like we've seen that a million times. Like, we know. Yeah. I'm Greta sure. Gerwig would like a word. Yeah, like, I don't I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm pretty sure the movie we're seeing this next week is about a young kid in California. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just not super – I'm not super into it. So I like the look of it. I don't know if I'm going to like the feel of it, and that's mid-'90s. So tentative on the end there. I think that wraps the trailer park. The last thing we have to talk about on this show, and I'm just about out of water, so this is going to be a very dry read, is um, V for Vendetta. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. All right, V for Vendetta. <laughs> yes. Uh, first, this is a film that came out after a... I'd say arduous uh, so post matrix transcription process from the original comic book work, which was Alan, Alan Moore. Moore. I yes. was going to say Alan Grant for some reason. Alan Moore. Yes. He wrote this. He wrote Watchmen. He wrote a lot of Batman stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of dark Knight Bat- Returns. A lot of dark Knight. Yeah. Dark Knight Returns. A lot of good stuff. 
And this is kind of an offshoot little 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 comic one. It wasn't a one-off, it's a thick comic, but he made about um, society essentially overthrowing its government based on the idea of Guy Fawkes and the 5th of November where he attempted to blow up Parliament way back in the day. He's a real character. Alan Moore made a fictionalized kind of modern interpretation of him. The Wachowskis made it into a movie after uh, The Matrix. They wrote this, uh, and 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 this was directed by, and I had the name pulled James up. McTeague. James McTeague, who also went on to work on Ninja Assassin. I think he worked on Speed Racer, maybe? Wow. Other Wachowski stuff, essentially. That's, that's where he's been. He's been hanging around them, which is great. And it definitely has a Wachowski feel to it. I, I definitely got that, but... Uh, Man, this movie, to, to get to the summary of it, stars Natalie Portman uh, with her best, best British accent ever uh, following um, Star Wars. I think it was after, after those movies were made. Uh, she, she plays a young woman named Evie in, in Britain uh, that is uh, like a, a, a dystopian Britain. It's, it's almost like 1984. It, it's a police state. Everything that's broadcast through television is watched by the government and, like, approved. Everything is very much, like, government-regulated. The world is not in a great place outside of Britain. You kind of find this out through exposition of televisions in the background and stuff, little news reports you hear. Uh, Things are not great outside of Britain, but everything seems pretty good in Britain. Life isn't so bad, other than complete government overreach. Um, And this guy comes along named V, this mysterious masked character wearing the uh, familiar Guy Fawkes mask. I'm sure you've all seen it. Uh, who who decides he's going to to make some things happen. So he blows up Parliament on the 5th of November. He says, one year from today, if you guys will all come join me, society, he takes over, he, he, he how does he do it? He walks into a, a television station with a bomb strapped to him and says, you gotta put me on. Uh, and he says, one year from today, uh, on the 5th of November, we're gonna do it again. Uh, we're gonna march on Parliament or whatever. Join me, it'll be great. And he tells the whole world that and then just disappears. And he kidnaps Natalie Portman and he says, you are going to live here with me for a year because I can't let you out because you might tell the world about what I'm doing. Uh, She doesn't want to do that. That's pretty much the movie. At one point she escapes. She gets caught again. Andy, what did you think of V for Vendetta? Okay, so I saw this right uh, when it first came out in 2005. Saw Uh it in theaters. Um, I was not near as educated as, as I am now. And I mean specifically in things like world history and government history. Um, so there's a lot of references and things uh, that I didn't quite get. So on, on rewatch, um, you know, it's, it's somewhat of a, not satire, but it's a caricature of, of government overreach. But at the same time, it has parallels to Nazi Germany, to the Khmer Rouge, to Pol Pot, like to some of these governments have um, committed atrocities across time. And it's kind of com- melded them all into one. Um, but it, it kind of, so when it came out in 2005, we're in the middle of the Bush administration and mm. a lot of what's in the film is actually very relevant. It was relevant then was relevant today because there's all these things where you see, um, uh, John Hurt's character. He's like the, he's like the dear leader. And, you know, he says this, we have to do all these things in the name of safety and security. And right. that's, that's something that's happened in real life. Um, quite a bit, you know, we have to do X, Y, Z in the name of safety and security. Uh, so the film kind of touches on these really serious subjects, um, authoritarianism, censorship, uh, government overreach. Um, it's kind of a, a warning. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. And I remember it was when it came out, they had to mess with the release date because um, the the Boston subway had been bombed. Oh, wow. It, the, summer, the prior summer. Yeah. And so 
they because I, I think it was actually supposed to come out in summer maybe and then they had to, they ended up having to push it back what while i'm thinking about it what there's a ben stiller movie that's pushed back because of 9-11 was that zoolander I think it might have been. Possibly. Zoolander, I think, was New York. Yeah. yeah. And there was a, I remember that was a thing. They pushed it back like six months or something. Zoolander for 9-11. Weird. Anyway. Um, so there, there's a lot of this movie that, that does work. So the whole idea is that, you know, he V wants the country to wake up. He wants the citizens to, to realize they're living in this police state, that they're, they're sheep and everything. They're, they're fed, all the media they're fed. The state-run media is all lies. Everything that they, they can and can't read and listen to is all lies. And he wants them to essentially wake up to this um and same thing for natalie's portman's character um their relationship is really kind of weird and one thing that doesn't really work this time around is um you know he kidnaps her and tortures her in an effort to wake her up to i don't know the horrors of authoritarianism or something yeah this i this probably works better in the book but it's really kind of made me uncomfortable today <laughs> well yeah let's let's offer a little bit more context he context he he essentially kidnaps her and says you have to live here in this like ornate place that i have with all this band art um but you're free to walk around and do what you want and she she's like well i don't want to do that but okay rolls over real fast which turns out it's kind of a false thing she doesn't really like flip over and isn't cool with him she still wants to get out of there but she plays nice to go along with it and hopefully she'll find an opportunity to get out which she does and she escapes later when he needs her help uh, essentially murdering somebody because yeah. he kills a lot of people in this movie yeah straight up like just does not and that's something that's a little bit dabbled in like she asks him you know did you kill this person he's like yep like i did <laughs> yeah, that yeah no, like no hesitation right like so it's it's certainly like his morals are definitely questionable but in the realm of the greater good that's kind of what they're going for i guess but she gets out, and 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 then she gets caught by cops, and held and tortured, and and not really waterboarded, but like dunked between cold and hot. I don't know. Tortured. They shave her head. It's waterboarding for right. before we had waterboarding. Keep her in a cell, and then like she gets out, and turns out, oh, it was V the whole time. Surprise! Like, yeah, but, and uh, she's obviously upset. And leaves, but he's like, well, gosh, think how much better you were for it. And she's like, I guess you're right. <laughs> like, no. That's like, a, so that's the only part that really doesn't work for me. But what I want to parallel that with is the uh, the detective um, played by uh, Stephen, Re uh, Stephen Ray. Stephen Ray. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, so he's on the trail to try to catch uh, V uh, through the whole film. And in doing so, he kind of slowly starts to uncover these government secrets. And sure. Tag the... Go ahead. And government atrocities and realizes that, you know, several events that were essentially false flag events that were um, the basis for this this huge lockdown were actually perpetrated by the by the government itself. Right. Tagging along with him is in this little buddy cop mantra they have is is Dominic, uh, who is young. Rupert Graves has gone on to do a lot of BBC work. He, he's a head inspector in the show Sherlock. Uh, it's weird to see him in this movie. It's like, oh yeah, he's in this. Like, just totally forgot. There's a couple people like that and we should get to that. But um, what, what, what was it about Stephen Ray that you, you liked? So he makes this journey from, you know, party, like he's a member of this, whatever their political sure. party is. And then he slowly, after he uncovers all these secrets and through research and through writing and investigation, his attitude towards everything completely turns around. And so his story to me is much more intriguing. Like the mystery that he's trying to solve yeah. and the mysteries that he digs up are much more compelling. And, you know, cause it's almost saying that, you know, the importance of investigation and literature and reading and 
kind of being skeptical about what you're told. Yeah, and that arguably should have been more of a more of a centerpiece. Maybe they should have just centered the whole thing around that because yeah, that's a much more interesting story I think than 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 Evie getting captured by V. Um, while that is certainly intriguing, Evie getting captured by V, like his and 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 Dominic's story, Finch and Dominic, the, the Stephen and Rupert, uh, they all their stuff like almost every one of those scenes was shot in, in like the same office. They just change clothes. Like, well, they just have these guys out <laughs> for two days to film these scenes. Like, yeah, yeah it's just very. And that's something somewhere where the film really does start to start to stumble. stumble. This movie is supposed to take place over the course of a year and change. And it's like two hours and 15 minutes, which, in my opinion, way too long for this movie. Like should have been 90 minutes flat. (laughs) Um, But like they covered so much time and you don't get a good progression of that. These guys don't have like, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying it has to be hokey, but like. You don't really get a good sense of time. Like when I was when I saw this when I was younger, this is 13 years since it's been out. I completely forgot it takes place over the course of a year and change. Yeah, I thought it was like a month. It's like no, it's a year and more. It, it like it, it is a long movie, and and for the runtime, I guess that works. But like, you don't get progression of time with these characters. It'll cut to the two buddy cops, and, and they they find something out. And it'll cut to John Hurt in the gang, which, by the way, great performance by John Hurt. Yeah. I really liked him. They, this, they, they project him on this giant screen that all these evil Britain guys sit, sit around, including Eddie Marsan, another uh, young uh, performance here. Right. He's, he's in The World's End, a bunch of other BBC stuff. Uh, yeah, John Hurt's like projected on this big screen. like His camera's crazy zoomed in on his face. He's like screaming at these guys in his room. Really cool. Um but then you get a scene with, with V and Evie after that, and then you're right back to the buddy cops. And it's like, what was that, an hour? Was that three days? Was that a month? Like, how how much time passed between then? And there's no visible indicator of that. It's not like any of them are, like, growing a beard over time. Yeah, yeah. None of them are getting haircuts. They look exactly the same as they did in the previous scene, just with the costume change. So it's like, I wish there was a little bit more of, like, understanding of, okay, we're moving through time. Things are happening. It didn't, didn't, just doesn't happen. I mean, right. I don't know. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to kind of comment on is I think it's very easy to lose the message of the movie. Big time. That Real easy. Be, well, be, I mean, we've seen it because, like, the whole – I mean, the Guy Fox mask has now been, like, co-opted by the, the anonymous group and sure. by certain members of French culture as, you know, this is our symbol. We're going to overthrow the government. And that's it's not what the film is really about. And I definitely misunderstood it, um, f- you know, 13 years ago, and I understand it so much more now. Like, it's, it's about this is what can happen if you aren't skeptical, if you aren't – if you don't read, if you don't – I mean, that's one thing, like, like V has – he books everywhere right you know and so it's like the importance of of knowledge and education so you so you don't let yourself get you know taken advantage of right but v is arguably completely nuts which yeah. is not at any point in the movie like disproven in fact they they actively kind of encourage like he's kind of crazy he's got this interesting foil in this character named dietrich played by stephen fry another great performance in this movie that it's like oh yeah i forgot he was in this yeah uh yeah he plays a broadcaster, kind of a late-night television host, yeah. very public-facing, everybody knows who he is, and he has a secret collection of, like, works and stuff that he's not supposed to have. And at one point, he gets captured along with, with Evie, uh, and he is, as far as I know, murdered, right? That's the yeah. deal. They, they straight yeah. up just ice him easy. They, they, the government, government claims it's some kind of accident or something. I don't know. But 
Um, he's an interesting foil for V because V has all this stuff and he hides. He hides behind a mask. His identity is is, is never given out. And like there's this power in his anonymity, I guess, is what kind of what they show yeah. at the end, which is where people get caught up in that message. But I didn't get, and this is going to sound silly because we're reviewing this. Why did V pick Evie to, to, to kidnap and, and hang out with for a year? Why was he like, you're the person I have to break for you to understand? Like, why? Of all okay, the people, so, so she gets, so she get like she essentially saves him first in the when he's in the TV station, and then she gets like knocked out, and he's like, uh, I can't just leave her here; they're gonna kill her. So that's when he first brings her home, right? But that was that's after before, that's that was before, after he blew up Parliament. That, that at the very before. beginning, yeah, right. Exactly. Why, why did he hang out with her and be like, come up to the roof and let me show you this whole thing I'm doing? Like it doesn't make any sense. Well, I th- I think that's just because. He was like, well, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. It's just like, why would you give, tell this woman of all people on the street that like, oh, by the way, I'm the one orchestrating all of this. See you later. Like, and maybe it's because he was going to broadcast and like put it all out there anyway, but she never would have saved him at the TV station if he hadn't done that. Right. So it doesn't make sense. Like, it, I don't know. It, yeah. it, it seems like it just worked for the convenience of the film, which maybe it did as far as the convenience of the film goes. Um, yeah, the the acting. I, I liked the acting of many of the characters I've outlined so far. I, I was man, I was not a fan of Natalie Portman. My God, her accent is English terrible. English accent. I mean, I feel like it's unfair. English people seem to be able to do really convincing American accents, sure. and like Americans can't do. She should have English accents. At she should have just done American. Like, why not? Why? Like, what do you stand yeah, to sure. lose? Yeah, like, and it would not have changed your performance at all. Um, instead, I'm, I, I'm, but I mean, it worked, I guess. By about halfway through the movie, I'm like, it's fine. I, I get it. You just have kind of a funny accent. But uh, I did want to talk about Hugo weaving his V because he does not actually play the physical V. Somebody else did it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, w- and they I voiced wasn't over. sure about that. Yeah, it is very uh, like like uh, Star, who, Star Wars. Who played the body? I don't remember. Uh, I don't, but I remember reading about this. Because so, someone else was supposed to to play V, right. and then they backed out. I think so. I, I don't know who's supposed to voice, voice it or what, but yeah, Hugo Weaving was not originally supposed to be V. It was supposed to be somebody else, and, and it didn't work. And uh, what's interesting about it is. The motions and, like, the presentation of V do not fit Hugo Weaving's voice. But that's to its, like, that's a feature, not a bug, because V is supposed to be this mysterious, elusive character. So in some way, it works. Like, yeah, this voice coming out of this person who's kind of slow-moving and elegant, but, like, not particularly, I don't know, it's effective for me. Like it worked um, in 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 an odd, like counterintuitive way. You'd think, well, the voice doesn't fit the body. That doesn't that doesn't make sense. But like it worked. It totally right. worked for me. Like I, I was I was caught up in it's the, the, in the Star whole Wars. presentation. It's right, the, the Darth Vader. Totally, it's the Darth Vader. Um, I, I do want to talk about kind of kind of the end of the movie, how things wrap up. Uh, this movie has never had a satisfying conclusion to me. I right. never enjoyed the end. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't I don't know if that's because by the end of two hours, 15 minutes, I was like numb and I just wanted it to be over or if it's because of the uh, spoilers. Uh, it's been out for 13 years. I feel OK about spoiling this demise of V. Uh, he does not make it to the end of the movie. Right. Uh, he, he does pass away in, in, in a firefight. Um, I don't know. Like by the time it ends, Natalie Portman has her head shaved and she's like an anarchist and like she's still living in the system. She doesn't escape. She has an apartment. She she watches state mandated yeah. television. I'm like, what did you learn at the end of the day? Like, and, and and 
the idea of everybody else dressing up as V and like marching on Parliament, neat. But like the and guy, then, the guy who what? made all of that happen isn't around anymore. Yeah, like what you're all supposed to just carry that torch that somebody else gave you. Like it didn't make any sense, you know. So I, I don't know. Like I, I also, wasn't super satisfied with the end. I felt like there's some potholes there where I was like, when they just like you know, because you know they they buy and ship these costumes to all these people. I was like, when they just like, you know outlaw them like sure the mask. like amazon you're not you can't sell these anymore like right which they do after the fact but you know the british government who was supposed to have this incredible reach to be able to control anything uh all these people get shit masks and they're like where'd they come from like we don't know I'm like you couldn't source those back what are you talking about yeah there's a billion of these masks go look up out. my amazon history i'm pretty sure they even say at one point there was like a hundred million that shipped out or something it's like what the hell and like kids are getting them and running around in them and people are spray painting things on walls it's like I don't know, man. I, I guess I got caught up in the spectacle, but it was just difficult to me to... Yeah, to there, there's a couple of things I want to touch on. So so the idea of the the media, the news media, is is a big kind of theme, and we see lots of images of screens, people on television, and that's very um, kind of idiosyncratic for Alan Moore's writing style. I, I haven't read this novel, but in I know in... Um, uh, what is it? Watchmen. Uh, the media is a big part like there's pages of like you reading people talking on the news mm -hmm. and it's a big theme in a lot of his work and so we get to see that on screen and it's a very we see a lot of very important things said and happen and kind of uh, be dealt with uh, through the media and right. that's very similar to the novel so I just wanted to kind of uh, touch on that I did want to touch on a scene really quick that I thought was just so goofy looking back that if you go back and watch this movie like please keep an eye out when V goes to the television station with just a stupid, like, Looney Tunes amount of bombs strapped to him, he walks in and everybody turns and looks in the newsroom like, oh, my God. And, and he managed to get up this skyscraper to do this without anybody stopping him or anybody at the front desk calling security or security even stopping him. And then state TV are doing their thing. Uh, BTN, I think it's called British Television Network. Uh, they're, they're doing their thing. And then their broadcast cuts off and it cuts to V sitting at a desk with red curtains behind him and like a, v, a custom V logo down with a BTN VTV. logo. Yeah, VTV logo. And he's got this whole production. He's mic'd up. I'm like, what the hell? Did you just stand there and wait for like PAs? Like, hang those red curtains over there. Yeah, we're going to shoot in front of that. And somebody, somebody pull up a desk and get the red <laughs> lights out. And we're going to get this. Somebody light this guy. Who's going to mic him? Get the lava. Like, when did that all happen? Who's doing all that? Like, we come on. He it was pretty cool. Pre-recorded. What did he have? A flash drive or like a JPEG of the VTV logo he had ready to go? He puts in a disc. I suppose he does. Yeah, he puts in a disc. I, yeah, I get. It's pre-recorded. It's pre-recorded. So he <laughs> shot it all himself in his cool basement. Yeah, That's exactly. the deal. Yeah, home Got studio. It. It's home studio. And um, nobody, nobody cut that off. The British Television Network, who has control over everything, is just like, just let it run. Just let it play. Nobody stop it. It's fine. <laughs> like, ridiculous. Um, an another kind of highlight that said again, the the, the detective uh, Finch, uh, played by Stephen Ray, is. Probably my favorite character. Look, looking back, really? Uh, yeah, it, oh, wow. yeah. But just because he's he makes a more interesting kind of turn in in attitude. But one of the things, like right the night before, you know, the fifth when everything is supposed to go down, uh, he's kind of talking through what will happen or how how it could even happen. And he was like, "Well, you know, tensions are high, um, but there's both sides are are angry, aggravated. Eventually, someone's going to do something stupid, and that's and it's and I was thinking, you know, that's really." pretty similar to how things kind of kick off in real life and you know riot, oh, sure. riots or other things it's like uh there's a misunderstanding or two you know very heated clash i mean we saw this in in the uh you know the 
there was the rally in Charlottesville where uh, the woman got run over by someone who drove their car through protesters. And it's like, yeah, when you put these two very heated forces together and then something, someone does something stupid, then mm-hmm. people die. And uh, yeah, so it like while it does kind of have a lot of its folly, it is at the same time touching on like some of the dangers of like, you know, protesting and, and, and for what you believe in and fighting the government. I do real quick want to touch on Stephen Ray. I was not a fan of his. I, I liked his character. I thought he was really well, like poorly played. Uh-huh. Difficulty understanding Stephen Ray. I was just like, hey, he was quiet. Like I, I liked where his character goes and his kind of arc in a very, um, oh gosh, this character I'm thinking of. I don't, I don't know. Like the slow realization of what's happening, like the turnover. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, that being said, uh, Stephen Ray is known for, on IMDb at least, The Crying Game and 92, V for Vendetta, and <laughs> Interview with a Vampire. Those are wow. three tallest credits, and V for Vendetta is the second one. So excuse me for not enjoying his performance <laughs> in the way that you did. I feel okay saying that now that I know where he's been. Uh, Andy, any any final thoughts? Um, part of this movie is still scarily relevant. Um, part of it. Part of it has aged well. Part, a lot of it has not aged well. Yeah. But that's why it's interesting to look back on how cinema was 13 years ago. Would you recommend V for Vendetta? I would recommend if you're a fan of comic books, if you're a fan of Alan Moore's writing again, a writer of The Watchmen and a very famed uh, comic book and reclusive. So that's the other interesting thing is his name is not on this. Like he refused right. to attach his name. Yeah. to this like it even says like uh you know f- uh, it says something like the novel by the guy who illustrated the book it doesn't say the writer yeah, it doesn't say you're right. um uh so yeah and fan of natalie portman or hugo weaving uh there's some good stuff here there's some things that haven't aged well some things that are probably philosophically not really because at the end of the day v is a terrorist yeah yeah no and very clearly like yes. the protagonist so yeah. it's he, he murders people with guns and poison in this game. Like, in this game, this movie. It's not great. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, man, I, I, before I had seen this movie, I would have recommended it more maybe after watching it again in 2018. Like, I struggled. The, the story of Natalie Portman getting kidnapped and held captive is so overshadowed by something like 10 Cloverfield Lane, which does it so much better than this movie does. It's, it's it, also somewhat, uh, somewhat misogynistic because it, it kind of plays into this male fantasy of, very much so of like uh yeah. it, it reminded me of born sexy yesterday that trope and the uh i mean just it's like oh let, let me i have this beautiful young ingenue trapped in my yep. cast i mean it's beauty and the beast right uh the story of of, of the, the two cops kind of figuring out what's going on reminded me of something like uh R- richard Gere's performance in primal fear like there's there's at the end of the day the, the story of 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 questioning authority in a very Orwellian fashion and 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 demanding anarchy over order in exchange for uh, knowledge as opposed to ignorance like there's something there and it's redeeming but like man it, it does not look great with the coat of paint it's got on it and that's yeah. that's my only real thing like I I, I like it um I, I would I would recommend it again Alan Moore if you're a big watchman fan check it out you might be yeah. super into it. If you liked Watchmen a lot, maybe. It's it's not for everybody. Um, but it's it is on Amazon Prime. It is it is two hours and fifteen minutes. It is V for Vendetta. Uh check it out, I guess, if if you get a hankering. And that being said, 
That wraps our show. It does. My God, this is a longer show in a while. You take two weeks off, and suddenly you're... Uh, you got a lot to say. You got a lot to say. Next week, we're going to be looking at Bo Burnham's eighth grade, which I'm really excited about, honestly. Heard good things. I've heard nothing but good things, and I'm afraid, I think... This is where I'm scared. I think I'm starting to get to that point where I think it's like I'm starting to get too inside my head. And I'm like, oh, no, I think it's going to be too good. Now it's going to be terrible. Like I'm gonna, my, my expectations are too high. I'm on the hype train. So hopefully that goes OK. And I think we're going to put out another, you know, do another Twitter poll for streaming. Or you just want to go. With no, let's just second, go with what we second yeah. pick. OK, well, last time we did a Twitter poll, we did it on at off script review. Go follow if you can swing it. Uh, I promise we're tweeting. Very reasonable things. We're not going to spam you with nonsense. <laughs> it's a nice way of saying we're not on Twitter very much. It's fine. But we did a poll, and, and we ran a poll for Mulholland Drive, V for Vendetta, her, and Blue Valentine. Not necessarily in that order. We said, what do you want to see? Everybody voted V for Vendetta. The second runner-up is what we're watching this next week. It is going to be... I can't do drum roll. Her on Amazon <laughs> Prime. Yes, the, the Spike Jones film. So... Check out her if you can swing it. Check out eighth grade if you'd like. I think it's going to be cool, and I think it's a little bit for everybody, despite the fact that it's about an eighth grade girl at a pool party. Eighth grade, her. It's going to be great. For Off Script, the home of bold cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.